Well, good morning. Anybody else here wearing a new jumper? <laughs> I hope you've had a good week. Anybody here had a good week? Isn't it good to see the sunshine after so much rain? It might be cold, but sun is good. So this, uh, this morning we're continuing our series uh, on looking at some of our sort of foundational spiritual practices. You will have picked up, if you were on the ball, that Tim alluded to what uh, he was speaking about, what we were looking at last week, which was the subject of fasting. And this morning we're going to talk about the subject of prayer which if any of you have been sort of on top of your news and particularly your international news, you will know that the subject of prayer has been in the news this week, particularly uh, a certain Mr. Donald Trump across the Atlantic Ocean has, has, been, has caught the headlines, he's been in the news because of what he has been saying about prayer. Anybody seen this? I've got a little picture here. So he has spoken out this week and declared this, that the government should never stand between the people and God. And he has defended students in schools and universities uh, about their right to pray on their own and to pray together and uh, for those Christian students to read the Bible and share their faith with their friends in their places of education without feeling pressurized or opposed or um, in some ways sidelined or... Um, yeah, oppressed for doing that, which is pretty amazing. And he went further saying that school administrators risked losing their federal funds if they violate the students' rights to their freedom of religious expression. And whatever you think about Trump, I think this is good news for Christians in America. This is good news for Christian students in America. It's actually good news for Muslim students in America and for Jewish students in America, some of whom were at the meeting that he was at, but all of whom uh, are affected by this declaration, positively affected by this declaration to reinforce religious freedom in the States. Of course, there are all kinds of other people that aren't very happy about it, but uh, there is President Trump talking about our need as uh, individuals to, to have the right to pray wherever we are. So question for us this morning, how's your prayer life doing at the moment? If you're anything like me, that's a question that you don't kind of really warm to and you're not particularly excited by, partly because it kind of can stir up all kinds of feelings like, you know, guilt, oh, it's not kind of, it's not going how I really want it to, or a bit of insecurity, you know, don't ask me that, I don't know if I'm doing it right, I feel a bit inadequate, you know, in the way that I pray, it's not necessarily a very comfortable question, but actually let's flip it on our head, God wants to encourage us this morning in our prayer lives. He wants to encourage you and he wants to encourage me in our connection with him and how we pray and, and how it's going. Because prayer is one of the, you don't need me to tell you this, prayer is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's one of the most important and significant things that we can ever do. It's our greatest secret weapon. It's our greatest spiritual weapon that we have. Do you believe that? Prayer is a powerful spiritual weapon. It's the greatest weapon that he's given his people. Who we become is firstly determined by who we follow. But I believe secondly, it is then determined by how we pray and how much we pray. We are shaped 
by our prayer lives. Remember the disciples? They watched Jesus. They hung out with Jesus. They listened to his teaching. They watched the way he lived. They watched who he was. And they didn't ask him, teach us how to be more effective in the way that we minister. Teach us how to be more effective in the way they live. They could have asked him so many things, but they watched him and they watched his life and they said, teach us to pray. They connected the way he lived and who he was with his prayer life. Prayer is the lifeline of our relationship with Jesus. I know that's obvious, but therefore, if it's the lifeline of our relationship with Jesus and it's at the heart of our connection with him, then our prayer life affects our level of intimacy with him, the the extent to which we're rooted and established in in his love, and the way that we learn to live in dependence on uh, on him. And God has chosen, for reasons best known to him, to allow prayer to be the primary driver of the activity of his spirit in our lives and in our world. You know, he's handed us this weapon. He's, he's involved us, hasn't he? He's invited us into partnership with his purposes and his activity on the earth. And yes, a lot of that happens through us stepping out in faith and being obedient to him. But it originates in the secret place of prayer. Prayer is the key, the doorway to the activity of his spirit in this world and in our lives. And I think it's why Trump is really onto something. Things happen when we pray. We change, other people change when we pray for them, and our circumstances change when we pray. Prayer changes situations. It's one of my favorite stories. Back in the 1800s in uh, America, I don't know why I have sort of a bit of an American theme this morning, but in 1873, a strange brown cloud appeared in the skies uh, over Minnesota. And initially, locals thought that this uh, cloud that they could see in the sky was a dust storm. But not so. This cloud turned out to contain millions and millions and millions of rocky mountain locusts, which they affectionately call in America, I'm not quite sure why, grasshoppers. But this huge cloud of millions of locusts appeared on the horizon in Minnesota. And from 1873 to 1876, hordes of these grasshoppers descended on the crops in Minnesota. Minnesota. And the humans and the farmers battled for for, uh, control and failed miserably. And there was major agricultural and economic devastation. They reproduced prolifically. They laid their eggs in the soil. And each year was worse than the previous year. And it got worse and worse until spring in 1877. The entomologists studying the situation found billions and billions, literally. I mean, who knows how they got to counting that much. Maybe they sort of looked at an area, a hectare or an acre, and multiplied it up. But they reckoned that there were billions and billions of grasshopper eggs just waiting to hatch. And over 50,000 out of the 80,000 hectares of agricultural land in the state were infected. Uh, Sorry, square miles were were affected. And so bad was it that the entomologists warned that the previous four years of infestations would be considered minor once these grasshoppers hatched and uh, destroyed the economy's uh, primary source of wealth, which was obviously, um, you know, the, the, the crops that they produced. The previous year, in 1876, there'd been a new governor, A new governor had taken position, uh, and he was called John S. Pillsbury, and he decided to handle this threat of the grasshoppers differently to how the previous governors had handled it. 
And so on April the 26th in 1877, he declared a day of fasting and prayer in the state, urging every man, every woman, and every child to ask God to prevent the impending scourge. And we might think of society sort of 140 years ago as being more godly than it is now. But history records that this guy's plan, Governor Pillsbury's plan, uh, and his generosity was absolutely mocked by all kinds of people. The Liberal, apparently the Liberal League of Minneapolis, issued a statement saying that we hold the belief, I mean we can hear this in our media today, can't we? We hold the, the belief, uh, we hold that this belief in the power of prayer is palpably untrue, its influence is pernicious, and in this day a marked discredit to the intelligence of Minnesotans. And they finished off their comments with a statement, from the beginning down to this day, outside of so-called sacred history, there is not one well-authorized instance of such prayer having been answered. Not one. So reporters descended from all over the state to report on what was going on and uh, how ludicrous this, this notion of prayer for deliverance was. However, the day happened, and all the shops, all the schools, all the cinemas, all the places of activity and offices in Minnesota were closed. And uh, the local papers reported that Minnesota was like a sort of deserted, abandoned town as streets were deserted and people went to church to pray and ask God to deliver them from the impending disaster. A couple of months later, as these uh, insects began to hatch, instead of eating the crops, uh, they bizarrely, history records that they bizarrely took flight in the middle of July and disappeared. The billions of locusts that had hatched just disappeared. They flew out of the state. And the entomologists scoured the soil at the end of the summer looking for eggs. They didn't find one. And history records that in 1877, Minnesota had the biggest harvest of their crops in recorded history. Absolutely extraordinary. And as you can imagine, the Liberal League of Minnesota didn't have very much to say about it. But prayer is powerful on a national level and on a personal level. It is the key to a supernatural-sized life. And we've been dipping into uh, Daniel's life over the last couple of weeks. And this morning, I want to encourage you to open your Bible. We're going to read from chapter 6, because Daniel was a man of prayer, and there's a few things that we can learn from him. Just to recap, as you're opening your Bible, it's going to come up on the screens. Daniel was living in exile. The Jews had been taken to Babylon, so his circumstances were not what he would have chosen. The Jewish people were in exile. They were away from their land. There was a, a distinct lack of, of freedom from them all. And uh, it was a time of hardship for the nation. It was, a time of, it was a wilderness time for God's people. It was a time of pruning. It was a time of discipline. But God was still on the move. So take heart this morning. If you're, you know, in a time of, of challenge and of difficulty in your life, if you're in a place where you wouldn't, you know, you would choose not to be, God is still at work. God was doing some incredible things through the life of Daniel and his people in captivity. And our circumstances don't stop him from doing what he wants to do. So Daniel was a gifted man. He was put in this position of responsibility. He had all kinds of uh, abilities that were... 
uh, treasured by the court that he was working in. So he was promoted to an extraordinary position because God's hand was in him. It wasn't a career progression plan that he was following. He prayed. He was a man of uh, prayer and God exalted him to this position of authority and influence. And yes, he was a prophet. Yes, he was a wise man. Yes, he was responsible. Yes, he was a man of incredible integrity. And all these attributes were significant. But the story of Daniel in the book of Daniel paints a very clear picture of a man whose attributes and opportunities were exaggerated and empowered because his life was driven by prayer. His life was built on a foundation of prayer. He had a powerful prayer life. And he can give us some, some tips, as it were, from, from uh, history as to how we, too, can cultivate, cultivate a powerful prayer life like him. So Daniel chapter 6. It's actually the story. It's the beginning of the story, uh, the famous story that we, many of us will have read when we were children about Daniel and the lion's den. We're not going to read all of that. But this is the backdrop to the scenario that we find him in. Uh, there are some court advisors who are irritated by the fact that Daniel is so favoured and has so much influence, and they want to come up with a plan to basically get Daniel out of the way, to get him removed from his position of authority and influence. And uh, it says in verse, I think it's verse is it four or five? They couldn't find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy. He was a man of integrity and he wasn't corrupt and he wasn't negligent. So finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps, they went as a group to the king and they said, may Darius uh, live forever. And uh, they basically... Uh, induced the king to make a decree that anybody that is found praying to any other god other than the king himself uh, should be uh, put uh, well should be punished and so did king darius put the decree in writing that they should be thrown into the liar's den so Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that this decree, that anybody who is found praying to anybody other than the king himself should be put in the lion's den, when Daniel learned that this decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards, towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men, they went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went straight to the king and spoke to him about uh, the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to a God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And then the story goes on and uh, we know what happened. He goes into the lion's den and God does a miracle and shuts the lion's mouth. So here is Daniel. And here is our subject of prayer, a massive subject, and we could say so much about it. But just in the time that we've got remaining, I want to just pull a few things out of Daniel's life that can help us to, you know, to cultivate a powerful prayer life that in a, in a way that Daniel did. There's so much we could talk about. We could, you know, we could even talk about, you know, the whole challenge of, of what happens when our prayers aren't answered. But here is a man of prayer. Here is a man whose life is founded on a, on a practice of regular prayer and he's got something I think that God wants to encourage us with, the uh, with this morning. But the first thing I want to say just before I pick out a couple of, of, of actual practicalities is this. We need to remember that we have an enemy who doesn't want us to pray. 
Many of us in here, and I include myself in this, I can become very deflated or discouraged about my prayer life. I I know what it's like to want to pray and just not to pray. Or not to pray as much as I want to pray. I have so many good intentions and so often I fall short of my good intentions and I beat myself up or I, I can end up sort of questioning what kind of, you know, what kind of faith have I got? What kind of Christian am I if I can't even get to that place of, of praying in the way that I want to? And I know that's true for many of us in here because we have an enemy who doesn't want us to pray. And this scenario that Daniel finds himself in, these two verses that have got as it were, some pointers for us in our prayer life, they begin out of the scenario of enemies of God wanting to trap Daniel. And what's the trap they set for him? They want to stop him from praying. They want to stop him from praying. And it's what the enemy wants to do with you and it's what the enemy wants to do with me. He wants to stop us from praying. It's why Trump's statement is so significant Because the enemy wants to stop the children of God praying to God. Prayer is our connection to heaven's resources, to heaven, to the source of life in heaven. And when the enemy prevents us from praying, he cuts us off from so much of God's power and purposes for us. And it's where it all kicked off for Daniel. I don't know about you, but how many times when you sit down to pray... Is it your experience that something comes along to interrupt you? In the, in the good old days before mobile phones, you know, most of us can remember those days before mobile phones. And when my children were smaller, I used to sort of highlight a particular time when, my, when I put my children down for a sleep in the morning or the afternoon. And I'd highlighted that time to pray. And I'd, sit, I'd make myself a cup of coffee and I'd sit down with my Bible and I'd begin to pray. And it was amazing how often the phone rang in that particular point of time that I had set aside to pray. How many of us feel, you know, those distractions become compelling all of a sudden when actually we've we've set aside some time for God? You know what I'm talking about. How many of us fall asleep? Does anybody else or is it just me that sometimes, you know, I've set aside my time to pray and suddenly I'm really tired and I'm suddenly beginning to battle tiredness and wanting to fall asleep and I was wide awake 10 minutes before I sat down to pray. I can see lots of you nodding. It's a familiar experience. Let's remember, friends... Let's allow this story to remind us that it's not just a battle against our flesh, although it is a battle against our flesh. You know, it's what the disciples, they fell asleep, didn't they, on the night that Jesus said, and and Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are weak in our flesh. But let's also remember we have an enemy who doesn't want us to pray. And if you're anything like me, when I remember that, it, it actually firms up my determination to pray. It's when I think it's just, oh, well, you know, it'll be easier tomorrow or whatever that I kind of give into it. You know, he'll use distraction. He'll use discouragement. You know, there are some of us here this morning, we're feeling really discouraged because we haven't got see, seen God answer our prayers in the way that we've been longing for him to. The enemy wants to use that discouragement to get you to give up before God's actually delivered the answer. Let him encourage you this morning to keep going. The enemy doesn't want us to pray. Daniel knew that. So what's the first thing he did? When he hears an edict, nobody's allowed to pray. What's the first thing he does? He goes home and he starts praying. Let's use the opposition, as it were, that we find in our personal lives, whether that's the distraction or the discouragement or, you know, the physical tiredness or whatever it is that pulls us away from praying let's use it to drive us into that place of prayer so what can we see 
uh, in Daniel's life that we can kind of be encouraged by. A powerful prayer life is a consistent prayer life. Look at what it says in the passage. Daniel prayed three times a day. A survey was done, a big survey was done in the UK um, a couple of years ago. And apparently, despite the fact that we're a post-Christian nation, over 50% of us in this nation still pray. But, the, but the, the biggest trigger for prayer, not surprisingly, is a crisis. And it's good to pray, and it's really good to pray in a crisis. But a powerful prayer life is a consistent prayer life. And this was a crisis moment in Daniel's life. But he came to God in prayer because prayer was part of his routine. Prayer was part of his routine. It was part of his daily purposes, as it were. Corrie Ten Boom, amazing woman of God, she said this. I love it. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. Because a man or a woman is more powerful on their knees. Life is busy. You don't need me to tell you that. And actually, when we construct, when we carve out a routine... You know, a daily appointment with God, a particular time of day that is as sort of fixed in our minds and in our diaries as if we were meeting a friend for coffee or had an appointment with our boss or had a date night with a spouse or a partner. You know, we wouldn't turn our backs on those kind of things and then suddenly allow something else to become more important. And yet we do that with God, don't we? And I wonder how many of us this morning need to be encouraged again to make an appointment with God at a regular time in a regular place to allow a routine, a consistent prayer habit to grow again. I know many of us will have, will have had times like that and let them go. I do that. You know, I'm sort of, my rhythms flow and change and life, you know, crises come along and we fall out of good habits. But actually, I think it's a brilliant thing to see our, a, a time with God and as an appointment with God as something that we wouldn't actually uh, allow to be moved to one side or to be, to be sort of undermined by other things that are going on in our lives. We all have uh, 1,440 minutes in a day. And I know many of us kind of think and, and believe the lie, I haven't got enough time to carve out time to be with God. I'll, I'll pray on the hoof or I'll, I'll, I'll pray as I'm walking down the aisles in the supermarket or whatever. And that kind of praying is good. But actually, if, if my relationship with Tim was only ever done by text message, sort of in, in, in the intervals in the day where there's a moment to catch up on a piece of important information, it wouldn't be much of a relationship. The kind of praying all the time, arrow prayers is a good thing, but God wants an appointment with us and we need an appointment with him. And a moment in time that is carved out for him, where we decide to switch off the distractions. Apparently, another survey that's been done recently, the average person touches their, smart, uh, their smartphone over two and a half thousand times a day. That's the average person. You know, how many of us are good at just removing distractions from that time that we've carved out to spend in the Lord's presence? It's a, again, it needs to be an intentional thing. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to pray. What does it look like for you to make sure your prayer life, your time with God is a consistent, regular appointment that is part of your daily timetable? 
We have time to serve. We live in an age where we have time to serve, time to scroll, time to swipe, time for all kinds of things. And yet we are consistently, our time to pray is consistently under pressure. Daniel's got this nailed. He's, he's planned it and he's built his life around it. And I believe that God wants to challenge us to do the same. You know, let's just take a check over what our routine is like. And, and the beginning of a decade is a great moment, isn't it, for a reset on looking at our routine and our rhythm with God. So a powerful prayer life is consistent. A powerful prayer life is also full of thanks. This passage draws attention to two ingredients in in Daniel's life. And it tells us that Daniel was giving thanks to his God. Now, I don't know what you do when there's a crisis going on or when you need help. And I'll just be honest, I can often just cut straight to the chase and tell God, you know, how I feel or what I want him to do. But here is Daniel, and he's giving thanks. His prayer life flows out of a place of thanksgiving. And again, this is a really, such a, we've said it here before, I know we all know it, but it's so much harder, isn't it, to be people who are are regularly and heartfeltly thankful in our praying than than to say it. It's easier to say than to do especially when times are challenging or we're facing moments of crisis. And we could talk about all kinds of, you know, I love talking about the power of thanks. I think it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Tim said something earlier about our praise. Psalm 49 says that praise is like a, 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 it's like a sword in our mouths. Praise is a weapon. It is powerful, which is why it's so hard to do when, when we're up against it and time is, times are challenging or we're facing difficult circumstances. It's hard to do because it's so powerful. And here's Daniel on his knees and he's giving thanks. What's your life of thanksgiving like? What proportion of your prayer time, your time with God, do you spend thanking him? Daniel's thanking him for what he's done. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. You know, we have a God who has loved us with an everlasting love, who's made himself known to us, who's introduced us to life through his son, who's given up his life for us, who's promised never to leave us, who's taken our punishment, who's who's promised us, you know, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. He's promised to use all things for our good. He's adopted us as his children. We have so much to be thankful for. What proportion of our prayer life is fueled by thanksgiving? And how easy do we find it to thank God, particularly in the difficult times? You know, sometimes we talk about, don't we, the practice of counting our blessings. I'm a real fan of that because I actually think being grateful is a habit. It's a habit that we have to cultivate, particularly when we live in a culture that isn't grateful. We live in a culture that loves to complain. Well, the Israelites missed out on the promised land when God brought them through the wilderness. They missed out because they complained. They didn't learn to thank God despite their circumstances. And they never made it into the promised land. There's a power in thanksgiving that opens up doors in the heavenly realms to release God's power into our lives that God wants to release to us. But we have to develop a habit of being thankful. Daniel developed this habit. Again, I want to ask you today, as I ask myself, you know, where am I with that habit of thanksgiving in my prayer life to God? 
How easy do I find it to just thank him and thank him and thank him for all kinds of different things? Does thanksgiving flow out of my mouth like water flows out of a tap? Because that's what God wants for us. And then it says that Daniel asked God for help. Verse 6. A powerful prayer life is a life that's full of thanksgiving, but it's also a a prayer life that is full of being real. Being real about what we need. And again, it sounds so basic, and yet so often I hear people saying, oh, I don't think I could ask God for that. You know, I don't deserve that. Well, why would God do that for me? Friends, if that's our response to what we bring to God to ask him to do for us, we're coming in our own strength. And it's about hills and what hills deserves rather than about Jesus and what he's done and what he's promised. You know, is there anything that you feel that you can't ask God for? What is it that you you wouldn't feel able to bring to him or to be honest about him in that place with him about in that place of prayer? Because if the stuff that you feel that you couldn't tell him about or you couldn't ask him for, then you're not coming dependent on his grace and his love for you. You're coming in your own strength based on who you are and what you think you deserve or what you think you need or what you think you don't deserve and what you don't think you need. And we're invited to come before the throne of God with boldness and confidence because of what he's done, because of what he offers us, because of what he promises. And Jesus says, your father knows what you need, but come and ask him because it's the fruit of relationship, isn't it? It's... It's what makes a relationship being honest and real with the Father. Thanksgiving, yes, but asking for what we need, asking for what we long for. That's what Daniel's doing. He's got a freedom here to ask God. Have you ever seen children? Those of us that have uh, got children, how many children, particularly when they're small, have a problem asking for what they need or what they want? I haven't met any. They have a total freedom, don't they? And they just leave it up to mom and dad to decide, you know, what they get and how the, how the parent, how, how I respond to my kids, they leave it to me. They don't worry about what I might think about them if they ask me. They don't worry about, you know, what it might cost me or what my response might be. They just ask. And Jesus says, come like little children. Unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. How good are you at asking for what you need, about being real with God? Tell him what you need. I love the way Paul sums up the way Daniel's prayer life uh, functions. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. It's so simple. Actually, prayer is really simple. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done in equal measure. And then Paul goes on to say this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And actually, I think this little passage and what we see Daniel doing is an incredible recipe, actually, for mental health. You know, we live in a culture that is making great strides in being open, uh, in talking about the challenges of mental health. Uh, It's fantastic. So much more is on offer. There is so much more help and advice and wisdom and counsel available. But friends, I hope we would expect the perspective and what's on offer from the kingdom of God to be on another level from what the kingdom of this world can offer. And what Paul is saying is that peace will guard our hearts and minds 
if we are continually telling God what we need and thanking him for what he has done. And I know for myself that when I begin to spiral downwards, so often it's because I've let go of pressing into the practice of giving him thanks. I want to read you, as I close, a testimony that I found on a website uh, a couple of years ago from a woman uh, in America who was, who was, she wanted to be connected to the Archbishop of Canterbury's initiative, Thy Kingdom Come. And uh, there was a bit of conversation on Facebook about prayer, and she posted this testimony, which I thought was, was absolutely amazing, and I want to read it to you. She said this, As a young mother, I was plagued with uh, postnatal depression, compounded by the accompanying symptoms of fear and sorrow that for years almost incapacitated me, making me a social invalid at times. For years, my doctor's medications and therapies were minimally and only temporarily successful, and eventually I was hospitalized for medical withdrawal as my body had begun to reject all medications. Returning home the worst for where I was without hope, and I'd begun to drink for some relief, which only made it worse. Then, out of the blue, one day, an idea, and she puts this in inverted commas, came to me. Why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer every day and see what happens? Unable to hold a thought for long, I let it go until it came again one morning. Why don't you say the Lord's Prayer and see what happens? So after my husband left for work and my children went to school, I picked up my prayer book and knelt in front of my blue sofa in my living room. I was self-conscious and I felt stupid, but, it beca- but I began a matter-of-fact, our Father who art in heaven. I was self-conscious and I didn't feel comfortable. But the next day, I tried it again, like a laboratory experiment. Maybe I'll get it right. So I said it again, slower. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. When I finished, I waited. Nothing. Nothing at all. Why was I doing this? Am I crazy? But I did it again the next day. And the next day. And the next day, some days I sang it, some days I wailed, some days I wept, laying down on the floor, hoping that this would be the day that something changed. Days became weeks as I went to my living room sanctuary and I knelt on the floor where these same words came out of my mouth. Our Father in heaven, give me something today. Give me daily bread. It had become routine and yet necessary. I was drawn, even compelled, and there was comfort, even just, in developing the routine. Then one day, something changed. Even before I started, I felt lighter. Just walking from the kitchen, something seemed different. I don't know if it was him or if it was me, but some one of us was different. I felt it in the atmosphere. Peace was here. A substance had come. A person was with me. Finally, I became aware of his presence. Sometimes it seemed more and sometimes less intense, but always it was exactly enough. This must be the, oh, on earth as it is in heaven part, I remember thinking. Sometimes it made me giggle and laugh. Sometimes I cried from the deepest depths of my soul. And sometimes it was a weepy laugh. But by now, I could hardly wait to get everyone out of the house so I could go to my sanctuary. I'd told no one. These 70 words, Jesus' own words, had become alive to me, each one with the inability to fill the room and execute spiritual surgery and healing 
all at the same time. These were the words of life. The word made flesh to me, holy medicine curing me, strengthening me, making me right again. My God, my father, my physician, my comforter, they'd come to visit me, to touch me with this exquisite love, with kingdom mercy and grace and deliverance. He'd come to set me free forever. That was 47 years ago in Texas. I have I have never been ill again since, and I am forever grateful to him who loves us all. Isn't that the most incredible story? One woman deciding to create a prayer routine, just deciding to carve out an appointment with God and stick to it and to pray a simple prayer from her heart and to keep going until God answered and he healed her life. I believe at the beginning of 2020, the Lord just wants us to have a fresh look over our prayer lives and to ask him, you know, where, where, where do we need an upgrade, Lord? You know, where, where do we need an upgrade? Where do we need a reset? What do we need to do so that we can push in to this incredible gift that, that feeds and fuels our relationship with him and brings transformation to our own lives and the lives of those that we're praying for and for the lives of the people in our nation and that we're making the most of what he's given us. So let's pray. Why don't you stand? <clears throat> if you're a visitor here, we just like to uh, end our times together, or we end them with coffee over the road. Some of us will need to collect kids in a few moments. But we like to end our time in here um, a bit messily, but particularly with just allowing God the opportunity to seal in our hearts what he's been speaking to us throughout the morning and to give him an opportunity to, to minister to us in the way that he wants to in these remaining moments. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. You might find it helpful to, to put your hands out in front of you. Daniel knelt. There's no formula for praying. We're New Testament people, but sometimes a posture can just help. A physical posture can help us spiritually and emotionally connect with our God. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that <clears throat> your heart towards us is one of love and of acceptance that you delight in us, your children. Thank you that you're here with us this morning. And thank you that you want to bless us. Thank you that you've been blessing us this morning, but you want to bless us in this moment because your heart is to bless your children. Holy Spirit, would you come and bless us now? Pour out your blessing. Just feel like that some of us need to hear again the Lord's heart to us. That the Lord's heart to you is his heart towards Abraham and to every, every descendant of Abraham, which is each one of us in here this morning. And his word to you is, I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. Is 
So come, Holy Spirit, and bless us. Bless us in this moment. Just thank him in your heart for his presence with you. Just thank him. Thank him for his presence here, whether you feel it or not. Our thanksgiving is never to be based on how we feel, but on what he's done. Just thank him for his presence with it. I just actually feel that for some of us, actually there's an invitation to thank him in faith that he wants to bless you. Actually, there's a real question in your, in your mind and in your heart. Do you really want to bless me, God? I know you want to bless other people, but do you really want to bless me? And I believe that he's just inviting you in this moment to thank him in faith that he wants to bless you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Jesus. And I just believe in this moment there's an invitation from him, from your father, to, to ask him for what you need. Just in the quiet of your heart, just tell him what you need. Tell him what you're longing for. And for some of you, that means engaging with a need or a longing or a desire that you've let go of, that you've stopped praying about. And again, if you need to acknowledge your disappointment with God, your disappointment with an answer that hasn't come, just acknowledge it with him. A powerful prayer life is full of real. Just acknowledge it with him. For some of you, you just, you're just enjoying the Lord's peace. He's literally clothing you with his peace. Just receive it. Just receive it. But I believe that <clears throat> he wants to minister to some of you through the hands and the prayers of others. I think there's, 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 I don't know whether it's one or two or more of, of you in here. And you just feel like you're clinging on to hope. You feel like you're losing hope. There's a real battle in this moment in your life with hope. And the Lord wants to, to restore hope to you this morning. He wants to store, restore hope. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to come forward and allow somebody to pray for you.
It's one of the ways the Lord blesses us through the prayers and the hands and the arms and the love of a brother or sister. So if you just know that you are longing for an injection of of hope and you need an injection of his hope in your life, I want to encourage you to come forward. If you're here and that word thirst that I think Tim used earlier, you're just thirsty. You're thirsty for more of God. You're thirsty for a word from God. You're thirsty for a touch. I don't... Whatever it is that you're thirsty for, I just believe that God wants to minister to thirst this morning. Maybe actually you want to become thirsty and you're not. But again, I want to encourage you to come down to the front and allow somebody to pray for. If we could have some people to come and pray, that would be good. Make your way down. If you're here and you need healing, you've got pain in your body, you've, you've had a diagnosis, you're longing for healing, I want to encourage you to come to the front Uh, We've seen people heal here. We believe in the power of prayer. We know that God wants to heal. Just come and allow somebody to to pray for you. Just make your way down. Just come forward. And if you're contending for a breakthrough, you're really contending for a breakthrough and you just want somebody to stand stand alongside you and, and, and contend for that breakthrough with you, again, just come and let somebody pray for you. If we could have some people to come down to the, come down and pray, that would be good. A couple of other specific pictures to throw. We had a picture of a of a lift, uh, somebody going up from one level to another. I think it chimes in with Hills's word about upgrade. Um, sense of you, you actually might be just bored with your prayer life use that word not in a condemning way but you're bored you're just bored with your prayer life and and you want an injection of new life into your prayer life a sense of upgrade sense of moving to a new level whatever that might be Um, if you want to respond to that we'd love to pray for you for that Um, Isaiah 52 verse 7 how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news it's just a reminder that we're carriers of good news and um to be bearers of good news. God wants to bless our feet as we take good news, if that speaks to you. Uh, had a word from somebody who believes there's somebody in the church building this morning called Stephen who's got a bad back. If that's you, then it's a good day for you. God points these things out for us to bless us. Don't wait for something which has got your name on it there. If you just know you want prayer, please come forward. Just come. Great way of just resetting with God, bringing all of our stuff, we sometimes don't even know what it is. So we say, more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you, Lord. Invigorate us, God. Put new life within us. Bless us, help us, grow us.